When Congress passes laws, federal agencies like the EPA, the FCC, or the SEC translate them into practical rules and regulations. As we regulate more economic activity, these federal agencies take an ever larger role in day-to-day -day governance. The consequence is a powerful, unelected, and largely unaccountable part of the government called the administrative state. The growth of the administrative state isn't an accident. Over time, our elected leaders in Congress have relinquished immense power to federal agencies. The judicial branch has given too much deference to federal agencies. And presidents, who oversee most agencies, have happily accepted the discretion they have been granted. The result is that agencies routinely create regulations with little oversight, transparency, or incentive to minimize the costs they impose. Reigning in the administrative state will require Congress to reassert its constitutional authority as the branch that defines the scope of power agencies are allowed to use. And judges have to be more skeptical of an agency's interpretation of laws, especially when the agency fails to consult with the individuals, businesses, and other stakeholders affected by its regulations. Administrative agencies are an inevitable consequence of our complex world, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't hold them accountable and realign their interests with those of the public. The path to tyranny and totalitarianism, you just saw it right there, folks. It seems pretty tame, doesn't it? Well, welcome to Training Tuesday here on The Rob Manus Show, live on the Red Voice Media Network where we bring you the facts and the truth, whether you like it or not. The framers of the Constitution devised a system of government that divided power among three branches, legislative, executive, and judicial. Their intent was for the branches to check each other's power to keep the government from superseding the sovereignty of the people. It's the application of Newton's third law of dynamics to political science, according to my guest today, whose words I'm giving you right now from one of his first articles about it. Progressives were always dissatisfied with the arrangement because they wanted a more powerful government that could override the people's sovereignty. A man named Frank Goodnow, and you'll recognize this one, Woodrow Wilson envisioned a different separation of powers to unleash the government progressives pined for. They argued that the government was not a machine, but a living thing. And our guest today says that this is the foundation of the theory of a living constitution. The division they proposed was a branch of politics and a branch of administration. That's a key word there. Fundamentally, the political branch would placate the people while the administration ruled them. Where the framers feared the legislative branch would become too powerful, and that's true, Goodnow and Wilson considered it an impediment. Scornful of constitutional restraint of power, they envisioned growing the power of the executive branch way beyond the vision of Alexander Hamilton. The fundamental argument they used was that times had gotten just too complicated for average people like you and me to govern ourselves. Of course, their solution was to expand the executive branch with experts who would rule the country via regulations rather than laws. As Dr. Philip Hamburger argued, administrative law is unlawful. In other words, it's unconstitutional. But they were not going to let that stop them. And that is today's guest's opening for his series of articles titled The Epic of Experts. Dennis Haw is an author, computer scientist, and an Air Force veteran, and I call him amongst my good friends. Dennis, welcome back to The Rob Maynard Show. It's been a while, and we're live now, where we used to be taped uh, to uh, broadcast, uh, and uh, appreciate having you on. And thanks for coming on to talk about this. Uh, your articles really got me excited because they fit the times we're in, and I'm sure that's why you decided to write them. Uh, but I got I to gotta mention some breaking news. Kevin McCarthy was fired as Speaker of the House today, Dennis. And uh, I believe that a big reason why he was fired is because he refuses to respond to, to, uh, to checking the administrative state that we now have in this country that's riding roughshod over the liberties of the American people at every turn when you, where you look, and that's why he's out. I can't disagree with that, Rod. Um, by the way, I hope you can hear me because we're live, we didn't get a check. So um, I got you loud and clear, brother. Oh, good, good. Um, 
Yeah, I I haven't got too much to say on that one because we've got such involved politics on that. Um, I'm not sure how much of it's personal, how much of it is involved in what. I don't really have enough uh, vision to see that, but it's definitely historical. Um, and I think it puts us at real risk. Oh, I do, uh, and I think it's a drastic step. It's never happened in the history of the Congress, uh, quite frankly. And uh, but I think it's it, it's it's very pertinent to what I wanted to get you on to talk about today, because sure. you know beyond the politics of it or the personal uh, things involved, uh, which I I really try to bypass all that anyway. Uh, it's mm -hmm. really about. McCarthy's inability or unwillingness to do simple things like return to regular order and pass the 12 appropriate single subject appropriation bills and a budget, uh, because that's the pathway uh, many of us believe, and I count myself among them at having run for federal Congress uh, on the U.S. Senate side, that to get back to checking the administrative state that we now have today, uh, we have to get back to the regular order budget process and have have effective hearings and, and end up with effective legislation that results in those appropriations bills and a budget, because that's the real power of, of the people uh, through Congress is through the purse. So, exactly. so that's, the, that's, that's what the, the folks that ousted him uh, on behalf of people like me, because uh, I was asking them to do it, uh, are saying is you promised you would do this, and this is the way we can check the administrative state that we see and the American people see is out of control, and you're not doing it. I'm not sure. I mean, I would definitely like to see um, even more radical direction there. You know, I think it'd tell from my article, I would like to see a president that goes in and yanks carpet out for from under some of this stuff, but we're, we're going to have to wait on that one. <laughs> That's exactly where I want you to go, man. I mean, but first, uh, uh, great articles, uh, Dennis. Uh, just talk folks through real quickly the foundational arguments that Wilson, uh, Goodnow, and Landis uh, made that resulted in him actually foisting this administrative state on us successfully. Because I mean, there's no guarantee of success. It didn't even happen in Wilson's presidential administration, you point out. What were those right. arguments that made it so, e not easy, but so compelling that it could get passed? Well, the first thing is what, what we need to do with our political thinking is turn, um, change it in terms of generation terms. And what Wilson ran into, that generation, no way, no how were they going to buy into some of the garbage he was spewing. Uh, first of all, the cost, the uh, cost, the government being a living thing. Well, does it breathe? What What are the signs of life here? Uh, it's it's complex adaptive system composed of living beings that that mess with this, but it, it's in and of itself, it's not a living thing. Uh, but that was one of the arguments. Um, the one that should be a red flag, and I liked everything about your lead-in video except for one thing, and this is something that I've been, I don't know how to communicate, but we need to look deeper. Um, in that video, they made the statement that these agencies are a fact of life that we have to live with them. No, it's not. That's garbage. <laughs> uh, and anybody who would say that, that uh, things have gotten too complex for us to rule ourselves, that's an outright admission that they don't believe in self-governance, period. Yeah. Uh, and we need to start being black and white on that. We can't yield on it. We have to understand where these people are coming from. And, and the thing is, it's gone on for decades, and unless we look deeper, we get sucked into the vortex of believing it ourselves, just like that video did. But that video's wrong. Everything else was pretty much right, but that was wrong. Uh, the uh, the thing is, the first generation was good now and uh, Wilson, and they made this government's a living thing, the world's too complex argument, but it didn't go anywhere. Jim Landis um, 
you know, a lot of the people that want to know FDR's administration had been in Wilson's administration. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think Landis may have been in Wilson's administration, but he may not have. But anyway, he was foundational in creating the SEC and had written a lot of different legislation. And the actual winning argument that he made, which convinced people that it was constitutional to do these agencies, <clears throat> was that the separation of powers needed to have coordination to go with it. So that having agencies was just an extension of separation of powers. Well, if we look at that, what do we wind up with? A bunch of agencies competing and fighting with each other. How is that coordination? Yeah, and it's even worse than that, you know, because within each agency, you have competing sub-organizations and personalities that compete with each other too. Uh, yeah. and, and I noticed that you pointed out that uh, uh, under the organizational section, uh, I think the second article, uh, that, yeah. you know, there's two, two, two types of entities within an organization, you know. Uh, there's the ones that uh, talk about the mission, I think, of the organization or the goals and objectives, and then there's the ones that, uh, that don't do that. Uh, to simplify it a little bit, <laughs> you know, and the ones that don't do that end up being the self-serving people uh, that use the organization uh, for their own ends. Yeah, if that's I, Pornell's uh, law. Yeah. yeah, and Jerry Pornell was brilliant. He had a, I can't remember whether it was a master's in political science and, and a PhD in psychology or, or the other way around, but we lost him a few years ago. Uh, but it, it's simply that in any organization, there's two groups of people. Group one wants to promote the goals of the organization, but group two wants to promote the organization. Uh, yeah. And he said, group two will always gain control and make the rules. Now, I, I put a, an addition on that is that the reason that they promote the organization is that it aligns with promoting themselves. So it brings in personal interest. And this explains why organizations always get corrupted over time. Yeah, because it's it's about personal interest uh, instead of the interests of the American people, because these organizations, they exist for one thing, to serve the American people. Yeah. Really. You know, but then they end up serving themselves. And they end up serving themselves. And I think it's really obvious uh, uh, in a lot of cases uh, you could see it very easily. I think the most the the one that springs to my mind is uh, uh, the uh, Department of Defense uh, and the intelligence agencies uh, combined, uh, and with what's going on with Ukraine. Uh, you know, uh, they have leader politicians in the Senate and the House on both sides of the aisle. Uh, actually, saying that the number one priority of the United of the American people is Ukraine uh, right now, when uh, the every single poll denies that. And I'm not a big believer in polls, but I'm a big believer in trending. When you look at data, uh, and the trending analysis <laughs> says that about 70% of the people think we're doing way too much and we're going too far, and we're and we're taking big risks uh, with peace in the world because of that. So, uh, and that, that to me is I see the individuals running the organizations as, uh, as serving themselves and, and yep. primarily their organization and not listening to the American people. And they've even co-opted key members of Congress who are supposed to be elected and obviously serve us. Uh, for that. So that's a big example. Well, I think Congress is corrupt too. Um, I mean, you got some guys who, uh, I think are uncorrupted, like uh, Thomas Massey. Um, but, you know, the names are few and far between. And yeah. I don't know what to think about Matt Gates. Um, I don't know what's going on with him. I can't figure it out. Well, he certainly stepped forward as the 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 uh, uh, the pointy end of the spear for this effort uh, for folks like me uh, to oust McCarthy today. Massey has been... Uh, uh, these last few months, you know, has, has been strangely uh, uh, it, not indifferent, but uh, more on the side of the establishment uh, than I'm used to him being when it comes to things like that. He voted against the uh, motion to vacate today. 
and uh, voted for, uh, I believe you voted for the debt deal uh, and voted for the continuing resolution, which uh, really stuns me, quite frankly, uh, as what? a uh, small government guy and liberty-loving guy. Uh, that's uh, very strange. Well, the problem is that I, I could see because I'm I'm on the fence on this whole thing myself because there's there's a reality behind this that okay vacated the chairman's who's going to be the chair now if it ends up being a Democrat now what that's not going to happen that was a big argument in the first go around when they went through this the other the other issue that people are throwing out today is that well everything's going to stop you know uh, and that's not true when you have a, a vacation of the chair in, in these circumstances all the committee rules have already been passed so the committees will continue yeah. uh, there'll be a, yeah. a temporary speaker you know so so things aren't going to grind to a halt it'll be interesting to see if McCarthy stands for uh, election again the rumor is that he He's going to do it uh, and do a big middle finger to those that uh, uh, ousted him and those of us that are supporting him. So we'll see what happens. That's typical establishment Republicans. Uh, but the serious nature of it is this is about power. Uh, and the yeah. key power is the power of the person. We've got to figure out how to work together for the American people to get that under control. And, and that is why I wanted to do this show today. Well, we've got to take our first commercial break, Dennis, since we're live now. We've got to do commercials. Uh, and okay. uh, we'll be right back. Uh, uh, there'll be a little intro video with uh, how this is uh, administrative state impacts religious liberty uh, when we come back. And we'll continue our discussion with Dennis Howe, author, Air Force veteran, and computer scientist. Uh, and uh, you really ought to go check out his site, Liberty Reads. Interrupt today's programming to bring unfortunate news. Biden's dangerous plan for a digital dollar is underway. Don't be fooled. It won't benefit you. So take action now. The Federal Reserve's phased deployment of FedNow began on July 1st, 2023. Be prepared. This may catch many off guard and put your hard-earned assets in jeopardy. But here's the good news. There's a simple legal tax loophole to opt out of the digital dollar. Speak to someone at American Alternative Assets for a free wealth protection guide and discover how to safeguard your wealth with gold and silver IRAs against a failing dollar and volatile markets. Dial 833, the number 2 USA Gold. Yes, call now, 833-287-2465. This invaluable guide provides precise steps to transfer your IRA or 401k into precious metals without any tax consequences. Don't let Biden force you into using the government's new digital dollar. Call 833, the number two USA Gold. Yes, call now. 833-287-2465. Act swiftly. 833-287-2465. In 2012 Supreme Court case, Hosanna Tabor, ruled that government is not permitted to use its civil rights laws to prevent a church school from firing one of its ministers, who was incapable of doing her job. Conservatives celebrated this decision as a great victory for religious freedom. It was not. It indeed exempted ministers from the intrusions of civil rights law. But all other employees remain subject to that law. How can a religious school be free if government is allowed to use these civil rights laws to forbid the school from hiring and discharging non-ministers on the basis of its judgment of how best to advance the religious mission of the school? The founders would have been amazed to hear us talk about civil rights in this way. For them, one of the fundamental civil rights was the right to associate with those we freely choose to. How did civil rights come to mean that we are not allowed to choose our own employees and associates. Welcome back to the Rob Mana Show. We're talking about tyranny and totalitarianism that is brought to us by the administrative state that the United States created. And we're talking with author of a series 
called the Epic of Experts uh, that wrote uh, the series, and, and I'm assuming there's more to come, hopefully. Uh, Dennis, you usually write three or four or five articles uh, on these series, but uh, uh, author Dennis Hawes with us today uh, to discuss this, and I think it's very pertinent to the times, especially on this day mm -hmm. with what just happened with the Speaker of the House, uh, and a big part of that discussion and, and fight is about the administrative state and its funding. Uh, mechanisms and how we need to check it. Uh, one of the things that uh, that you mentioned in the first article uh, uh, to get to the point of experts, you know, it's like Wilson and those guys said, hey, things are way too complicated. We got to have people that are experts in their fields to, to rule over the American public uh, is essentially what I've gathered uh, from their philosophy, and they successfully mm -hmm. established the administrative state uh, in the uh, in the FDR administration uh, through Jim Landis. Uh, but what do they mean by experts exactly? What do you mean in the article when you write about it? Who who are these experts, and what are they experts in? Well, <laughs> yeah. That's the open question, right? But as I write in the article, if we're talking about administrative state experts, uh, it, it'll, to cut to the chase, they're supposed to be experts in telling us how to live. Well, we should look at how they live their own lives because if they don't live their own lives very well, why should we listen to them? And it, it really starts there, right? <laughs> Yeah, but we're not we're not looking at it because we've been programmed not to. Well, that's very interesting because uh, you know I mean the news broke today about a senior executive service member and folks that's the uh, uh, civilian civil service equivalent of a general or an admiral uh, uh, in the civilian world out of the Pentagon uh, that uh, has more than twenty years of service to the Department of Defense was arrested for running a dogfighting kennel uh, and training uh, and actually dogfight operation, which is illegal in this country. Now, I think a famous football player went to jail for that not too long ago or a few years ago. Uh, yeah, I mean, Michael that's one Bick. right there. Uh, I mean, when you're look, talking about looking at how they live their own lives, how can that guy be an expert? Uh, and I think he's the chief information officer for DOD is what his title was. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he's an expert, uh, one of those experts, uh, that's telling us, uh, uh how, how, basically how we should treat information, uh, through the defense establishment, I guess. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and, and he's, he's been doing this apparently for 20 years and getting away with it. I'm not surprised by that. Um, the thing is that it, I, I will just, you know, in the article, basically put more questions than answers because all we have to do is ask ourselves exactly what you're asking me. How are these guys experts? And the answer comes back. If you really look at it, just start with the definition of, in Merriam-Webster and mm -hmm. you come up with these guys aren't experts at all. It, it's yeah. total garbage. Yeah, uh, I think you're absolutely right, Ben. So Congress, uh, nobody's off the hook here. I mean, we hear people in Congress complain about the administrative state uh, in various ways and terms uh, all the time, but they passed a, a Civil Service Reform Act, I think that was intended <laughs> to do away with the, what was called the spoils system back in the day when presidents right. would come in, they'd clean out the whole civil service and put their own people in, I guess. Uh, the way I, I understood it worked. And this act was designed to prevent that, but it also ushered in and enabled the beginning of the administrative state, didn't it? Yeah, because you wound up with a bunch of laws that, that were akin to union-oriented union laws where you were protecting the civil servant. And eventually the push came about 1962, 60, well, 61-62, and it's centered around New York State, but it led to Executive Order 10988, which JFK signed into law almost uh, a year to the day before he was assassinated. And if you read about it, it wasn't that he really wanted to sign this law, but the uh, New York representatives were marshalling in a, an even more powerful uh, 
union-oriented law when it came to public servants. And and this really, this is why it's nearly impossible to fire them. And that's why, and you used the quote, one of my favorite quotes from Ronald Reagan in the article that, uh, you know, quote, the, uh, the closest thing to eternal life we'll ever see on this earth, close quote, uh, yep. is is the federal government uh, or bureaucracy. Yeah, it's true. And that's yeah. why. Yeah, and I think that's why we're where we're at today with the way uh, most of the federal government's behaving towards our own people, quite honestly. Uh, the uh, But it's well, not just- if you look at it, oh, Rob, let me, let me just sit on that one a minute. Um, if you look at it, going back to group two in Pornell, um, they're promoting uh, the organization themselves, not the goal. Well, sure. we've gotten so far away from it, these guys could care less about the American public. And right. the, the reason for that, and, and this gets a, a little off subject, but it, it, we really shouldn't lose sight of it. Um, the elected officials are now going along with the administrative state because there's been a real, ever since the 2000 election, our election systems have been in turmoil. And as you know, I've been involved with election integrity and looking at this stuff because I'm a computer guy and a mathematician. And the bottom line comes down to they don't fear elections. They don't, they don't fear being held accountable by the people. Now, there's a number of reasons for that. Uh, one of them being that incumbency is almost guaranteed because the electorate is so shallow has nothing right. to do with the election systems. Uh, but also, you can just look at the laws surrounding our election systems, and you could drive a gravel truck through them. Uh, there, there's no way to trust these things. So, yeah. it, and that just leads to our representatives aren't afraid for their jobs, period. And on top of that, the the administrative state agency heads uh, and the cabinet secretaries, they're not afraid of Congress holding them accountable, you know. That's right. Uh, I mean, even Joe Biden, as as inept and uh, and slow witted as he is, due to his age and whatever's wrong with him, I think he's got dementia. Uh, myself, uh, based on what I see, uh, but I'm not a doctor. Yeah. I'm just a guy sitting out here watching uh, and observing. But uh, uh, even he, he's not afraid uh, of being held accountable. All, all you can do is look at their actions. The only reason you should be afraid to be held accountable, accountable in this country is if you're, you're Donald Trump or you're a Republican uh, and you break the law, whether it's intentional or not, uh, or, or they make up a law or, or a breaking of the law. Uh, uh, but if you're on the side, and I'm, this is not partisan, this is about, about whether you're on the side of the administrative state or if you're opposing them. Uh, in my mind, what's going on there. Or what they want to do. Right. Right. Because right. I guarantee you right now, the way it is, if you came out against funding Ukraine, you would have a very hard time if you were inside of that beltway. I, I don't and think there's are. any question about that. And we are. Even people yeah. outside of the beltway are having a yeah. very hard time. Uh, we certainly are. Well, well uh, but it's not just Congress. Uh, you specifically call out the judiciary uh, uh, using the term Chevron deference. Before we go to our second right. break, what is Chevron deference uh, and why is that uh, uh, important for, for this discussion? Well, this goes back to the, the uh, Chevron um, legalities back, I forget when that was, early 2000s or even before, maybe it was in the 90s. Uh, remember when Chevron uh, went bust and mm -hmm. uh, in the court rulings, uh, SCOTUS basically came up with Chevron deference that allowed the agencies, wherever there was legal ambiguity, to make it up. Right. So they they get to, without passing a law, make a law. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so Congress has delegated the ability to legislate to the agencies and the judiciary has reinforced that uh, yes. through Chevron deference. Uh, uh, so they're double tapping the ability to legislate. Now I should the add, there's a, recent, there's a recent Supreme Court ruling that's reversing that to a degree. I haven't read the ruling yeah. myself, but I've, I've uh, heard about it. 
So that's maybe good news. So that may be a piece of rolling back this Leviathan. Yeah, it could be, could be. If we can hang on to people like Clarence Thomas and Alito and, uh, and yeah. those kind of folks and keep them from being ousted by, uh, by crooked politicians like they're trying to do, especially with Thomas. We've got to take our next break, Dennis. We'll be right back. We'll continue to talk in more detail even about the administrative state and the dangers that we face because of it. I'm Rob Manus. We'll be back after these messages. Moms and dads of America, you love your kids. You love God. You love this country. And you're tired of watching companies betray your values and ruin great products. Don't get angry. Invest your time, energy, and money into the people that are building the country you want for your kids and standing for the values that will lead to their blessing and protection. Invest in companies like Brave Books. They are on a mission to create content for kids that is safe for them to enjoy. They have kids' books that teach about character, hard work, and the value of being brave. If you join their Book of the Month Club, you get a new book sent to your door every month that will teach your kids pro-God, pro-American values. Brave books will not betray your trust. Your children and your grandchildren will thank you. Remember, the land of the free depends on the homes of the brave. one's on me, bud. the administrative state begins with a philosophical critique of the American founding, which really had three prongs to it, uh, led by this group of people we have come to call the progressives. The critique was that nature, in the sense of natural rights, imposed undue restrictions on the ability of the Constitution to do what they believed people wanted it to do. That history, capital H, had moved on. That the American founders were unduly dedicated to the idea of nature, natural rights, and limited government. But that government, in fact, was an evolutionary kind of thing that needed to adapt to particular circumstances. The spiritual godfather in America of that indictment was Woodrow Wilson, Professor Woodrow Wilson, long before he entered politics, uh, wrote a series of, of essays and books specifically attacking the American founders and the separation of powers in particular. The idea was that the separation of powers imposed very severe constraints as to what the government might do. My concern, which I mentioned at the panel, that we have now, partly for accidental reasons, created a presidential election system in which, for all intents and purposes, we have a plebiscitary presidency. That is to say, he is selected by a primary system and enjoys a large degree of popular support. We now combine that with the powers of a very large administrative state over which a president has a good deal of discretionary authority. You put together the idea of a, of a plebiscitary president with lots of bureaucratic and potentially arbitrary power, and you have a recipe for democratic demagoguery. And that, I think, is the central threat facing the American constitutional system at the moment. And it's going to require all three branches to undo that. to the Rob Manus Show live here at the Red Voice Media Network, where we are dangerous because we dare to bring you the facts and the truth, whether you like it or not, my friends. And we're talking with author, 
uh, Air Force veteran and computer scientist, uh, my friend Dennis Haw, today about his series, The Epic of Experts, which takes on the administrative state, uh, describes it, talks about Wilson and his efforts there. And uh, uh, I picked that little clip there, Dennis, because it, it, it highlighted two things. The the, the uh, contention or the tension against our natural rights that the, Wilson and his colleagues were specifically targeting uh, to uh, weaken. Uh, and then two, that the, the uh, professor or the gentleman uh, narrating the story talked about the pleb plebiscitarian presidency combined <laughs> with this Leviathan, as you called it, administrative state, and the president controlling it. Uh, and, I, and I, that jumped out at me because that's not what actually happens anymore. The president, and then we mm -hmm. saw that in the Trump administration where the administrative state uh, and the political side both, in large part, turned uh, inward to him to prevent him from doing uh, really some pretty ordinary things, uh, but that would roll back some of those powers that, that have grown since uh, Wilson uh, was successful in implementing it. 100%. I mean, there's no question about it. Uh, Trump threatened the power of the administrative state, so they had to take him out. Um, sure. And the forces that you uh, mentioned, um, one of the things that, that we have that I, I personally look at as an even bigger problem is the power of the political parties. And the fact that we have, in essence, a uniparty inside of the beltway. Mm -hmm. um, once you get... Uh, party politics overriding our government, you definitely have a totalitarian state, perhaps even a Marxist state. And I would argue that, that we're really on the verge of a Marxist takeover because these people really are inculcated in Marxism. Um, yeah. And, and, and well, we could go on about that one for a long time, but I'm sure I know you show. have, yeah, Ed, you have friends inside of the Beltway uh, I just had my 50th reunion, and one of my former roommates uh, is married to Nancy McEldowney, who was actually Kamala Harris's national security advisor. So I won't go on any further about that because I love that guy. Uh, but we're obviously on the opposite side of the divide. And, and, you know, to speak to that just for a second, Rob, and I know you'll appreciate this being the military man that you are, but I more I look at, um, and I had some discussion with general officers over over the week, um, mm -hmm. I'm convinced that these guys just don't see it. Uh, when we talk about DE&I and critical race theory, um, some of them know, oh, I'm not in favor of that, but they don't see it in existence right in front of their nose and the threat that it happens. You know, for example, at the Air Force Academy right now, they sure. have cadets that are going around with a purple rope. We used to call them epaulets, uh, right. I think. Anyway, and these these cadets are actually old Soviet-style uh, political officers. Right. Uh, and they have more yeah. power than the squadron commanders. Oh, they are. They're reporting and turning in their, their, their colleagues and their student uh, peers. Uh, if yeah. they step out of line at all. And that includes criticizing uh, the policies. Yep. Uh, it's, uh, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're in a dire situation uh, because, you know, the last institution uh, to really fall to what I call this Marxist march uh, really is the Department of Defense. It, it was the strongest one uh, yep. of all as far as the protectorate of the Declaration of Independence, the values, the Constitution of the United States that use those values to establish a government, uh, uh, and uh, it uh, with uh, with the the uh, approval of C.Q. Brown, uh, General C.Q. Brown, as the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs, who led the Air Force in its transformation into a diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, uh, really uh, institution that is not focused on combat missions and and finding and killing America's enemies, but focused on uh, on its enemies within, which apparently be, uh, apparently are white males. 
mm-hmm. you know, uh, and that's all factual. I'm not being hyperbolic at all. I'm just spouting the facts from the documentation yep. and letters that CQ Brown has signed. Uh, you know, when I brought, uh, I, I personally took it to one of my senators who's a very high ranking Republican. I'm not going to name him because it was a confidential conversation, but I was stunned. I was stunned at the response, uh, that I got, uh, because our people, uh, as you mentioned, they don't see it right in front of them. And it's not just the uniformed officers, a Senator. I mean, this guy doesn't see it. Uh, and didn't see it. And when it was brought up to him, he said, well, I didn't know that. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. uh, it's like they're whistling past the graveyard of the United States of America uh, on its way in, you know? Well, it, it's I, crazy. I think it is, but I also think that those of us on, on this side of the divide have not been smart in how we've approached um, uh, putting a, a a spotlight on it. And mm-hmm. when you do something like that, you have to be really careful that you don't wind up with the fingers pointing at you as being the problem. And um, there's a couple organizations that I got involved with pretty early on. Uh, I won't mention them, but um, they've done that. They've unfortunately actually made the problem worse instead of better. Um, yeah, unfortunately, and, that's a common tactic and strategy uh, of Marxists and yep. uh, and uniparty power brokers <laughs> is yep. to point the finger back at the accuser. Uh, yeah, yep. and you're right. You know, I mean, it can. There's always room for improvement on that. Uh, and I think that's part of what this fight is about in the Congress with over McCarthy, uh, not over McCarthy himself. Uh, and it's very. What I'm concerned about is them making it personal between the Gates thing, Mike, Matt Gates, and all that. Uh, when really it's not about personalities or personal, it's about the power of the funding because the funding has got to be removed from these agencies that are out of control. I cannot say that slowly enough for you slow readers and listeners out there. They are out of control. Uh, and the control being that they're supposed to be protecting our freedoms and our liberties, uh, and they've been turned inward on us, uh, and we see more and more restrictions. And uh, uh, what what I led with, the, the tyranny and totalitarianism that comes from having an overbearing administrative state uh, that doesn't even listen to the president of the United States, its boss, and the Congress is corrupted by and large. Uh, all you have to do is just listen to the retorts coming from the uniparty congressmen and women uh, on the Republican side is where you'll hear it from right now. Go listen to what happened in the Congress today on the floor in, in the debate about the motion to vacate the chair, uh, and you'll you'll see it and hear it loud and clear if you if you are willing to be open-minded and listen and watch and observe. Uh, the fight is about the funding of this Leviathan administrative state uh, and. One side, political party-wise, the Democrats want to make it bigger and stronger and more powerful, and the uniparty Republicans that were working with them want it to be that way, too. Uh, and it, So it's, it really comes down to a fight between those of us that are on the other side of this divide, uh, which there are more of us than there are of them, but they have the power. I, I totally see that. There's no question about that. Um, so, so I Dennis, did... I wanted to ask you, you said one of the things in your articles of one way to address this is that Congress should write legislation that is less specific. What does that mean? Well, they, they do that already, and they leave it up to these agencies. What I was actually trying to get at is we're, we're uh, if you will, <laughs> sorry, math, abstract mathematician, the, the law should be fairly abstract, and then the refinement of it should be done by the states, not by federal agencies. Um, that that gets the details closer to the people. That makes perfect sense. Uh, okay, well, we got to take our last break. When we come back, we'll continue this discussion with Dennis Haw about his series, uh, The Epic of Experts, Recommended Reading. He's a great author. I've read... Uh, two of his books, and uh, you got to get there. We'll get the website information back out to you. I think we've had it up on the screen the whole show. Uh, But we'll be right back to the Rob Manus Show live on the Red Voice Media Network after this message. 
interrupt today's programming to bring unfortunate news. Biden's dangerous plan for a digital dollar is underway. Don't be fooled. It won't benefit you. So take action now. The Federal Reserve's phased deployment of FedNow began on July 1st, 2023. Be prepared. This may catch many off guard and put your hard-earned assets in jeopardy. But here's the good news. There's a simple legal tax loophole to opt out of the digital dollar. Speak to someone at American Alternative Assets for a free wealth protection guide and discover how to safeguard your wealth with gold and silver IRAs against a failing dollar and volatile markets. Dial 833, the number 2 USA Gold. Yes, call now, 833-287-2465. This invaluable guide provides precise steps to transfer your IRA or 401k into precious metals without any tax consequences. Don't let Biden force you into using the government's new digital dollar. Call 833, the number 2 USA Gold. Yes, call now, 833 283- 287-2465. Act swiftly. Congress enacted numerous statutes, created new agencies, given agencies power to address numerous issues that affect us on a daily basis. We saw similar action by Congress in the 1970s with respect to health and safety. Think the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act. Again, Congress identified these issues, passed legislation, gave power, even more power to federal agencies to address those issues. So the growth and the growth of the modern administrative state can originally be traced back to Congress passing laws, giving more power to federal agencies, growing federal power in comparison to states and to individuals. More recently, however, the growth of the administrative state has happened because Congress does not act. It's because Congress does not pass laws. We have this enormous administrative state controlled by the president, and so for the president to respond uh, to public opinion and to the president's own agenda, the president's had to use these stale, older laws to address new issues. Uh, Now, part of the problem with this is that Congress is quite polarized. Uh, We don't have a compromising Congress like we did before. Uh, We have a Congress that is not passing laws uh, on a regular basis, uh, and that allows for federal agencies' power to grow and grow. The administrative... Welcome back to the Rob Maynard Show. We're talking about that administrative state uh and that little clip highlights the administrative procedures act which uh i know uh you're like me regular american what the hell is that Uh, well you should go look it up uh because uh it turns out that's a very important piece of legislation it's how congress delegated its legislative authority to these agencies that are unelected bureaucrats and one of the reasons why they have become so powerful today so much so that they are a threat to the freedom and liberty of the entire United States of America and we are in grave danger because of it and we're trying to figure out a way our way to check this leviathan federal government i call it a rogue federal government because of its actions and its unwillingness to follow the directions of a, the president of the United States it's constitutional boss, so to speak. Well, we're talking with author uh, of a new series of articles called The Epic of Experts, Dennis Haw, uh, Air Force veteran, computer scientist, and good friend of mine. Uh, Dennis, uh, in the second article, uh, you lead with uh, uh, the discussion about 
the complicated world. You know, if life is too complicated, you know, uh, doesn't that mean we need experts and everything? Well, you put a quote in there. It's one of my favorite quotes of my whole reading life. I'm going to read it because it's from Robert Heinlein. Uh, and it really lays out why the framers would just be apoplectic about what <laughs> they would see in the United States government if they were here today. And it, start, it says, a man should be able to change a diaper, plan an invasion, butcher a hog, con a ship, design a building, uh, write a sonnet, balance accounts, build a wall, set a bone, comfort the dying, take orders, give orders, cooperate, act alone, solve equations, analyze a new problem, pitch manure, program a computer, cook a tasty meal, fight efficiently, and die gallantly. Specialization is for insects. Uh, uh, and I think, he, I think he nails it right there. Mm -hmm. uh, and exactly why, when I read that, uh, I think of, in the context of this, I think of the people that wrote the Constitution of the United States and that wrote the Declaration of Independence, and more importantly, the ideas that they believed in that they put in there uh, about I th I Americans. Think I think he expounded on the pursuit of happiness. And exactly. uh, just reading through it, I get kind of chills every time I read it, to be honest about it. That's why um, I wanted to read it, because I get a chill. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, as, as a growing up as a farmer and then going into the Air Force and then the computer business and all that. I, I haven't conned a ship, but I've done most of that. <laughs> and I have uh, too. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, set up on. Very good. I've set my own bone, but nobody else's. <laughs> I set my little brother's because I broke his arm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, no, that you know, Heinlein and uh, G.K. Chesterton are two of my favorites uh, in terms of quoting. Um, G.K. is just awesome. But, uh, yeah, I mean, this is what we should do. And when we defer to experts, we actually, uh, the effect that it has on us, it makes us kind of like deer in the headlights on everything because yeah. we don't believe, uh, the founders, framers, in the Constitutional Convention, they talked a lot about competence and incompetence. And that was their litmus test on where the power should go in, in, uh, in the federal division. By the way, federalism, it, the root federal, federal mm -hmm. means distributed. So right. when we use the term federal for the highest level of government, that was actually kind of a coup that Alexander Hamilton uh, pulled off along with assist from Elbridge Jerry. Um, but it's upside down when we think about the federal government being the highest government. The, and the, the framers referred to it as the general government, and they were deathly afraid of the power they were given it. Yeah, and they, and they limited its power. When you read yep. the Constitution, they severely limited the central uh, general government's power intentionally. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, you know, when we first started the show, you, you, you mentioned you, well, I want a president to do X, Y, or Z. What are those things that, that can be done by a strong leader, uh, that uh, gets elected and believes in the constitution of the United States still, uh, as president of the United States, Dennis, what are the big two or three things right out of the gate that that individual needs to do to get this, this checked? Number one is rescind Executive Order 10988 and its follow-ons, because there were a lot of follow-ons that uh, have have gone on, and they all need to be rescinded. Uh, that's what enabled uh, the public's uh, unions, and we need to get rid of them. Now, right. actually, in all honesty, my older brother would smack me on that because he worked for the VA and he was a union boss, but I don't care. <laughs> He was on the wrong side of this. Uh, you know, those guys should fear us. Um, the other thing I think that uh, a strong president should do is actually defer like George Washington did. Instead of trying to herd cats, he, mm -hmm. well, it ends up 
in the end, he'll have to herd cats, but not being pro proactive, more reactive in it. Um, right. What we've got going on right now is our, well, in all honesty, when Trump ran, my first inclination was, no, he's going to be too strong because he's used to being a CEO and calling the shots. But then when I saw the way he acted as a president, I, I came to the conclusion he was right on where we wanted to be. Because, right. and, and now, something I don't know if people realize, but he takes um, constitutional advice from John Eastman, who's one of the best constitutional scholars I've ever run into. Uh -huh. uh, and I know they're prosecuting him, of course, but uh, he's a good man. Um, yeah, he is. So, I mean, it, it, it's a balancing act to be as humble as George Washington, but as as willing to recognize the need for when leadership needs to happen. And uh, this kind of goes back to Jungian psychology and, and Myers-Briggs in terms of that uh, last vector between um, uh, perceptor and judger. You can't right. be too late to the party of making the decision, but you don't want to make it prematurely. And we've got a, a, we've got a real problem there. I mean, Reagan was excellent for the first part until he got shot, but I don't right. think we've had a decent. Uh, well, I, I would say Trump was really good, but it, you know whether we're talking about or Democrat, I think we've had um, kind of bad leadership in the White House. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, I mean, everybody likes to criticize Trump for some things, but I think you're, I mean, I was hesitant too. I didn't support him in the first primary. I was supporting some other person, uh, but uh, uh, but uh, once he got elected, he did, he did, he was right on the, on the mark, I would say. Uh, mm -hmm. it, uh, it really freaked out the Uniparty and, and the uh, administrative state for some reason. Uh, to the point where they overreacted, and, and here we are today. Uh, and they're still overreacting, in my opinion, uh, to oh. him. You know. Yeah, to answer your question, I guess the second thing really would be Trump's foreign policy. It's almost exactly the right policy. And yeah. I think that was number one reason that the uh, administrative state took aim on him, because he was going to tear apart all this web of, uh, well, you know that we've got bad links all over the world, and we've we've got links right. with bad people doing bad things, and so we're exactly. doing bad things. Oh yeah, uh, and that's why we're where we're at with the Ukraine and Russia right now, and I think yeah. it's uh, and why we don't have a statesman uh, that's able to rise up out of the administrative state noise uh, and be able to uh, do things like uh, uh, like pursue a quick end to hostilities. Uh, and find a political solution that doesn't involve killing hundreds of thousands of people, whether they're Americans or not. I still care, uh, and that's that's what I think uh, I liked best about President Trump. He didn't get us into any new wars, but he also used discernment as he moved forward in his decision making. You notice he didn't just like rip the Band-Aid off in Afghanistan because he knew what would happen would ha did happen that what did happen would happen. And he was trying to navigate, you know, and his team were trying to navigate their way to a uh, peaceful withdrawal uh, that didn't result uh, in the in the result we had. So, yeah, I agree with you there, and, and I think that's why they're still out to get him is because uh, of that. I mean, you see all the billions of dollars uh, and thing going back and forth, and, and believe me. What goes over is coming back through lobbyists uh, into PACs and the campaign committees and all kinds of stuff. It's a big circle. Uh, well, funding. it goes up. It goes up all the way to the UNWEF. Yeah. You know, there's there's real powerful forces against it. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, uh, what's thanks your website? You want, what's your website? You want people to go to so they can read the articles and get your books too, because uh, you write great books. That's how I met you. Was I uh, somebody uh, gave me a copy of your book, The Americanist, uh, or pointed it out to me and. Uh, that's how we met. Well, um, libertyreads.com is kind of my entry uh, uh, website. And it, if you want, you can go to my Defiance uh, Press author page, or you can go to my blog from there. 
Um, there's a podcast in there, but I pretty much ab abandoned doing a podcast. It just takes too much time. And before I came on here, to be honest with you, I'm working on the Lunar Space Station right now. So I had a full day of work before I came on. <laughs> <laughs> hey, can you come on and do a show about that? I'm a big space nut. Always wanted to be an astronaut. Are you allowed to talk about any of that stuff yet? Oh, and NASA stuff's by and large. Well, actually, some NASA stuff should be uh, um, uh, um, guarded, but it's not. All right. I'll put one together some one of these days. Okay. <laughs> well, thanks, man. My, my best to your wife, Jenny, and uh, I appreciate your service to the country and your continued service. This, these articles are very important, folks. They're timely. You need to get there and read them. The Epic of Experts, it's about the administrative state and what needs to happen to take it on and put it in check by the other branches of the government. Thanks a lot, Dennis. We appreciate you. Well, Hey, Rob, I, let me throw one yep. more thing in. Uh, I'm writing for the Colorado Free Press now, and uh, it's one of Todd yep. Wood's adventures. So coloradofreepress.org. Okay, coloradofreepress.org, folks, dot com. Coloradofreepress.com. Thank you very much. Dennis Hall, author, computer scientist, Air Force veteran, uh, and uh, expert in all things Constitution and Americanism. Uh, thank you very much, Dennis. Have a great day. You, Tomorrow, Rob. folks, will be Whistleblower Wednesday, and we've got a, another veteran whistleblower about the abuse of disabled veterans, unfortunately. Uh, so we're looking forward to that hour to bring you some more valuable information. I'm Rob Manus, and Tucker's still laughing. <laughs>